This morning our gospel readings take a sharp and distinct turn towards Holy Week, which begins next week. Throughout the season of Lent, we've traveled with Jesus through his ministry in a way that serves as a little bit of a refresher course on what, who Jesus was and what he's all about. The first week of Lent always begins with the temptation narrative and, and Jesus fasting and then experiencing the temptation of the devil before he starts his ministry. The second week, Jesus is rejected by the local religious authorities and then foreshadows the coming, the, the coming events of the, the Passover meal. During the third week of event, uh, the third week of Lent, all of his followers were asked to decide who are you really going to follow? And then last Sunday, we read the story of the prodigal son and the story of, of abundant grace and forgiveness and love that comes in that story, that comes from God to all of us. But today, the, the action takes a distinct turn as Jesus is with those who are close to him. And this makes sense because Palm Sunday is next Sunday. Easter is two weeks from today. And if you've been following closely, there is all that veiled foreshadowing that's been going on throughout Lent. And this morning, it, it definitely shows up for real, big time. Because the main event is just about here. So this morning, we see sacrifices around Jesus. And we see that 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 those around him are, are, are really wanting to push him in one direction or another. And we, as followers of Jesus, are going to be pushed as well to discern, decide, are we going to follow along with Jesus? Are we going to sacrifice and, and love? Or are we going to push him in a different direction? Today, Mary offers her best the most beautiful, the most valuable thing that she has, she offers to Jesus today. And, and it may seem strange, but when we step back, I think we see that we need to pour out our best to the Lord if we're going to be His followers. We need to be prepared to pour out our, our most valuable, our, our best selves, our best resources, give them to God. And sometimes... We don't. We're hesitant. And so though we all are here as ones trying distinctly to give ourselves to the Lord today, I hope with the spirit of learners we can come to this passage and see where we have room to grow and consider how Mary pouring out the valuable perfume on Jesus is, is not just a way in which she is celebrating Jesus, her friend and her rabbi, but also as, as, as emulating for us how we sacrifice to our Savior. We find the story in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. It's in verses 1 through 8, in which, which we will share in together now. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. They gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard 
anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, he said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with me, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before I skate on some thin ice, I start with a scripture reference from Genesis chapter 35, verse 14. If you have memorized that one from Bible Drill, congratulations. Genesis 35, 14. Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, God, even a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it, poured oil on it. This Bible verse from Genesis comes up quite quickly when you start researching the phrase to pour one out. Now, the young ones in the crowd might recognize what it means to pour one out because in the modern, contemporary, popular vernacular, to pour one out refers to pouring out a drink of some kind. For an absent, in reverence to an absent or a departed friend. The phrase has been used so much in contemporary vernacular that people, even me to a certain extent, thought maybe it was just popularized by hip-hop rappers like Tupac and Biggie. But it turns out it's ancient. Tupac and Biggie were going biblical, so to speak. Because in ancient Greece and ancient Rome and ancient Egypt, each of those cultures shared a distinct practice, a cultural practice that involved pouring out libations in honor or deference to a person or to a god. And in the biblical narrative, this happens, of course, in Genesis. It happens here in John. But back in Genesis, Jacob poured out the drink offering as a sacrifice to God in order to bless that structure, that pillar he was building. In addition to that one reference from Genesis, there are many references to libations being poured out. Those of you who are up on your New Testament scholarship will remember that Paul, a couple different places, says he's being poured out as a drink offering, poured out as a libation in order to follow the Lord. There's more than 35 uses of that word, libation, in Scripture, and many of them reference this sacrifice of sorts. So to pour one out for your pal or your friend or your homie is not just what the kids are doing these days. It is biblical. It's what God's people have been doing as an expression of their love for a long, long time. And of course, in our gospel reading, Mary pours out a pound 
a fragrant perfume on the feet of Jesus. And you know the meaning of this gesture. You know that Mary had this this perfume that was worth a year's worth of wages. 300 denarii. A denarii is a day's work. And we know that Mary's a loyal follower of Jesus. And and she's going to be there at the empty tomb. And she's going to stay with him until the very end at the foot of the cross. She, she had experienced the power of Jesus' love and, and, and witnessed glimpses of resurrection. Remember, they're at Lazarus' house. And in every possible way, she had given herself over to his mission and ministry in the world. So when we see her pour this perfume out on him, this should be in the back of our minds. We're remembering this is someone who is in it with Jesus. She's making a substantial offering to her rabbi, her her teacher, her savior that she loves. She's, She's expressing outwardly the devotion that she has inside of her heart. She's showing out the transformation that has been going on in here. And if that were not enough, because it is enough, then we also see there's more. There's, there's layers of symbolism in the fact that this perfume is, is for, it's for his, his death. There's so much foreshadowing going on here. It's an act of, of sacrifice that she is acknowledging that Jesus is not just going to die, but is the Lord, the Savior, the Messiah who has come. And this event foreshadows the events that are to come in, in just 12 days. And so for Mary and for us reading this passage, it's rich and it's deep. And it pushes against what the disciples see happening. Now maybe not all of the disciples were pushing back against this extravagant gesture, but certainly Judas was. Judas, who was skimming off the top. Judas, who doesn't have pure motives, so he confronts Jesus. He confronts him with this, it's a year's worth of salary. We could have given that to the poor. Or to my pocket, he thought. But knowing Jesus' motives, Judas brushes off, or Jesus brushes off Judas's accusation, and he endorses that there are times when his followers have to make grand gestures of allegiance and sacrifice and love. Jesus defends Mary's actions because, well, not just because Judas was wrong, and not just because he was saying it, because he's right. We, you could have given a lot of stuff to the poor with those 300 denarii. But see, Judas hadn't treated the offerings the right way all along. Mary and Judas and, and, and Jesus are in this, this, this triangle and they serve as examples for us today. We're prone to be Judas at times. That's why we have a prayer of confession during Lent. We're, we're prone to hide behind the allure of helping people, yet never actually making the sacrifice. 
We know he wasn't going to help the poor. He was going to stick it in his pocket. That's what the Bible tells us was going to happen. And in this case, Judas is just like that couple from Acts, Ananias and Sapphira. You remember them, the ones who sold the land and then brought the money to the church and then said, oh yeah, we, this is all we got, only to be struck dead for having lied about what it was they had made on the purchase and having lied about the fact that they didn't give to God all that they said that they had to give. Judas ends up dying unceremoniously as well. And when we consider Judas and and Mary, when we consider the motives, when we consider all of the things that these passages challenge us to, to think about, it should rest at home and force us to ask, what are we pouring out? How are we pouring things out? How are we pouring what God has given us out for the sake of building and blessing the kingdom of God? Are we hiding behind logic and reason and accounting in ways that keep us from pouring out that which God is calling us to give? Are we we hiding behind the metrics in ways that just would benefit ourselves instead of all that God is trying to do in the world. Sometimes we do that. Oh, sometimes we don't. But we are forced to acknowledge at times we do. Those who pour out things, we all pour out things of value to us. And we pour things, we pour energy and life and resource into the things that we value most. And if we're not pouring things out honestly into God the way that we're called to, if we're hiding behind the false altruism of Judas, there's nothing to do. Those who hide behind things like we could have helped the poor with this, yet then never go help the poor and with nothing. They only fool themselves. They don't fool God. If they're a part of a faith community, they're probably not even fooling their faith community, to be honest. Those who only fool themselves. If those, those who act like Judas only fool themselves if they think that there are no consequences for pouring out not enough or pouring out the wrong things in the wrong places, even if they claim the reasons are legitimate. Which does leave us, just force us to ask ourselves, what are we pouring out and where are we pouring out the best that we have to offer with ourselves, our lives, our resources, and all the gifts that God has given us. When we think of our lives, the things we possess, the stuff that we chase, the things we're looking forward to, I suspect we could look at what we have and what's important to us and see that sometimes we are pouring our best out somewhere else on something else. I can, can see that at times we all 
are taking and reserving and holding back the things that are most important to us. And, and, and we're not pouring those things and that energy into that which matters most. It's reasonable. It makes sense. It's, it's, it's a part of our fallen state, I suppose. But hopefully you're pouring out what matters to you in ways that reflect what God has done for you. Hopefully, we are not so bound in pouring our resources into the stuff and the things that just serve us that we are cheating God. Hopefully, when we consider all that God has given to us, all the prayers we offer to God for help, and all the ways in which we want and need and believe that God should and could and would bless and care and keep us, we are, hopefully, like Mary or John, or like Mary and John, or Jacob in Genesis, pouring something of value out in reverence and devotion to God. Because that's where the meaning lies in the first place. Now, we don't necessarily need to annually take a year's worth of wages, turn it into oil, and pour it on the altar in honor of God. But you know what a meaningful, extravagant gift would be. And you know that we need to offer our best to God. And we must remember that those who try to claim that they're giving all they have but are not are probably the most doomed of all. Because they can't, you can't, we can't deceive the love and work of God. Especially when we're deceiving ourselves. And so this morning, we gather to see and to experience the importance of our offerings to God on the cusp of Holy Week, a week in which God offers everything to us. Because next week, Jesus starts to lead us into Jerusalem. Next Sunday, He comes in with palms waving, and it's a celebration And in the days to follow, He's going to cleanse the temple. He's going to challenge religious leaders. He's going to share a meal and wash the feet of His disciples. And then He's going to be rejected by those in power and rejected by those without power. And He'll give Himself up on a cross and most remarkably will show us when and where there are instances of 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 life that we can't see our way through. He's going to show us that when we can't see the way, God does. And even in death, there is still life and there is still hope. And and on the cusp of all that, on, on, on the edge of all that is Holy Week, just seven days away, the final call in the narrative to us is, is are we offering our best to this God who's going to lead us to life? Are we, like Mary, proclaiming love and devotion and our whole selves in the abundant hope and belief of the kingdom of God? Or are we thinking too small? Are we just thinking about what we want and what we need? Are we short-sighted and devoted to lesser things? Are, are, Are we pouring something out for a friend because it's easy but not pouring ourselves into the work of God because it would take more. 
Are we giving our best to God? Are we pouring our best resources and energy into something that benefits us or to something that builds God's kingdom? Oh, these are the questions that read us when we read this passage. These are the questions that trouble us when we ponder this passage for too long. But since we're here together, I trust that we're okay with being troubled a little bit. Because at least we know God is with us. Best of all, God is with us in our troubles. And best of all, God will call us forward. Especially if we give Him all that we have. I pray today that we all will turn to the Lord and pour ourselves and our best into the places where the kingdom of God is most at work. And I truly believe today that when we pour out our whole selves into that, God's kingdom come, God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we will both be and will bear witness to that reality. Will you pray with me? Holy, eternal, and loving God, we give you thanks for the day that we have. We give you thanks for a place to gather. We give you thanks for your love and your grace and for all the many gifts that you give to us. In this day, Lord, as we dance around a scripture, a gesture of devotion that Mary shows us, Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom to see how we can offer ourselves and our best to you. And Lord, I pray that you would offer us courage to do it, knowing and believing that when we offer our best to you, your kingdom comes and your will is done among us and through us and with us. And Lord, more than anything, that's what we want to experience. We want to experience the fullness of your love, the gift of your hope, and the power of your grace. And so help us, Lord, to give everything we can to experience that today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.